Well, I'm so glad to be here with you this evening to bring God's Word. If you would turn with me in your copies of Scripture to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. We're going to be considering verses 1 through 7. And as you turn there, I, I just want to extend uh, uh, thanks for, for being able to be here. Uh, Redeemer sends their, their greetings, your brothers and sisters in Christ there. Uh, we appreciate your prayers as, we, uh, as Pastor Jeff transitions in. So uh, please continue to pray for us and, uh, and uh, think, think of us often, please. All right. Um, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. This is the word of the living and true God. Give it your full attention. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So far the reading of God's word. Uh, let's ask his blessing now as... as as it's preached. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have indeed revealed yourself and your mighty deeds here in your word that you inspired by your spirit. Indeed, these are the words of life. And so we do ask our God that you would, that you would restore our lives, that you would renew us with this word, that you would uh, comfort us, uh, comfort us in our affliction, that you would convict us of our sin, and that in all things that Christ might be preeminent in our hearts and in our lives. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, I would say any, one of the greatest joys in any relationship is whenever you get to that point where things start happening spontaneously right? You start to finish each other's sentences, right? Uh, not sandwiches. Uh, how wonderful it is when you find that friend who seems to understand the, the, the way that you think, the way that you act, and, and anticipate how you feel. They know when you're feeling down, when, they could, when you could use a, a cup of soup, and they know exactly which kind of soup you would enjoy, they know exactly what kind of present lifts your spirit. You don't even have to say a word. These, their care is spontaneous. Their love is so obvious. They resonate with you deeply. 
Certainly this is a relational high point for which we all strive. And yet, isn't it so heartbreaking when that person has done something to lead you to question their love? This frustration, this heartbreak, this doesn't come just between friends, but it can happen in any relationship, between husband and wife, parents and children, and certainly in the church. That's the situation that we start out in in Acts 6. The church has been filled with great joy and unity in the midst of great persecution, and yet there's something here that threatens to undo their great joy. Neglect. Neglect of those who are most needy among them. The church has continued to grow, but the church is no longer spontaneously caring for everyone's needs. The good news here, though, is that that King Jesus is not absent from his church, but that he is an ever-present help, especially in the care of his people. Jesus has an answer, and what a gloriously wonderful, but, but maybe surprising answer that it is. The central question this evening posed by these first seven verses in Acts 6 is this, how does Jesus care for his church and preserve their joy? How does Jesus care for his church and preserve their joy? We'll find the answer to this important question as we consider three parts of this passage. It's, it's not a very challenging outline. First, we'll see the problem in verses 1 and 2. Next, the solution in verses 3 through 6. And finally, the result in verse 7. So, a problem, a solution, and then results. So, let's look first at this problem facing this church. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. We see there's two parts to this problem. The first part is that grumbling has arisen. Now this word for grumbling, it's the word that's used in the Old Testament when the Israelites are passing through the wilderness. They grumbled against God Uh, whenever they didn't feel like their needs were being met. They grumbled against God for for supplying manna and not uh, delicious meat. They grumbled against God and his appointed leader in Moses. They grumbled. Grumbling is opposed to joy. And we see here that, that this church is grumbling because there's some problem. And, and grumbling, when it's even whenever it's about the right thing, here we see that grumbling is, is this sort of passive-aggressive, uh, you know, back-channeling about what's going on in the church. There's these problems. They, they're not necessarily coming forward to the apostles. They're, they're complaining behind the apostles' back. What's the problem? Widows are being neglected. In this society, wi- widows would be some of the weakest in, in the community. 
that if they're being missed over, if they're being skipped over in the daily distribution of food, that, that means they're not eating every day, likely. This is a serious form of neglect. And we notice that there's something very specific about this neglect. It's, it's focused on the Greek-speaking uh, Greek widows. These are foreign women. They're, they're Hellenists. They're from Jews uh, from throughout the empire, but not located there in Palestine. It's likely that the apostles, maybe not, not intentionally, um, they're just missing out on these Greek-speaking widows. They may not know them as well, and so they're being missed in the daily distribution. And as the church begins to notice this, they grumble. They grumble because it feels like they're second-class Christians, these, these Hellenistic Jews, uh, these Hellenistic Jewish Christians. That's the first part of the problem. But the second part of the problem is that the apostles can't neglect the ministry of the Word. This problem of neglect of joy is heightened because the apostles are not fully able to address the issue. They have been tasked with the distribution of funds, but eventually the church has grown so large now into the thousands that they're no longer able to manage the, the funds here wisely. They have to choose between ministering the word and caring for the church we should never be put, putting two spiritual priorities against each other, but that's what they're having to do. It's, it's either care for these widows or, or neglect the ministry of the word. The apostles place their priority. They say that we must be given over to the preaching of the word and prayer. They must not neglect the ministry of the word. This doesn't denigrate the ministry of mercy, though. The apostles were called to proclaim the, wor the word throughout the area. So they, they've been given a particular task, but it wasn't for this mercy ministry. Something needs to, to be proposed, a solution. The apostles recognize what an important issue it is. They don't just shrug it off. They say, this needs to be taken care of. And so they set out to find a solution. And that's what we see next. In verses 3 through 6, they say, Therefore, uh, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The Apostles' solution. We need a group of servant leaders to preserve the joy of the church and to minister mercy. Luke lays out for us what this process looks like. The apostles gather the church together to select seven men. Why the number seven? Well, it's, it's, it's a good number. It's a number of completion. And then the apostles give requirements what must, what must these men be? Well, they must be well attested. They must be well thought of by those within the community. They must be full of, spirit, of the Spirit. They need to evidence the grace of God is active in their lives. You think of the fruit of the Spirit. They need to be full of wisdom. 
to distribute funds in such a way, it would require uh, that know-how of how to wisely distribute funds as they see needs arise. These, these requirements that they set before, they need to be well-equipped for this work. The church finds this solution agreeable. They, they are pleased, and they chose seven men. We see that uh, the names for each of them, uh, two of them stick out in particular. Uh, Stephen is highlighted. We see a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. The following uh, sections of Acts uh, focus in on this one man, Stephen, and upon his witness uh, to other Hellenistic Jews. And then we also see Philip, who becomes an evangelist and a church planter. Uh, these other men, we don't know much about them, but there is something important to highlight here. Notice the names. The names are, are Hellenistic names. These are not Saul's. These are Paul's. They're, they're Hellenistic Jews and proselytes. They can see specifically to the needs that are going to arise for these Hellenistic widows. They might be a little better known, better trusted among those who are needing care. We then see the apostles appoint them. They lay their hands on them and commit them to the task. If it's not clear yet, what we're reading about in this passage is the formation of the diaconate. Some commentators would argue that this passage isn't about deacons because the office is never referenced or is ever explicitly referred to. We also see some of these men involved in proclamation ministry later, but, but we believe things that aren't explicitly stated in Scripture uh, all the time. We believe in the Trinity, even though the word is never used. When Paul refers to the office of deacon in Philippians 1 and 1 Timothy 3, where, where is he coming up with this office if it's, if it's never been established before? There's, there's good reason to see the diaconate, at least a, an early form of diaconate alpha uh, being formed here. And what's important to note about this setting apart uh, this establishing of these servant leaders in the church, is it's not merely the church that's calling these men. It's Christ calling servants to a task. We model our practice of calling and ordaining off of, these, off of these, this passage. It's Christ giving his church wisdom to discern who he is choosing for the role it's important to, to remember that Christ doesn't just give gifting. He also gives offices. He gave apostles and evangelists and shepherds and pastors. He gives elders and deacons. Christ supplies his church with their every need. He sees what we need and provides appropriately. Finally, it's, it's important that we see the result of Jesus' calling of these men to serve in such a way, to serve in this, this office of deacon. Look what happens in verse 7. We see, And the word of God continued to increase, 
And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The result is an expansion of joy. The, the gospel and kingdom expand all the more. Luke highlights three key areas of growth. First, he notices that the, that the word increased. The ministry of the word is able to expand all the more. And the phrasing indicates a gospel growth, a growth in depth and breadth. The apostles have been enabled to be more focused on the ministry of the word in prayer. So the word is increasing. And this is all because these deacons are, are fulfilling their work. We see another expansion. The church continues to multiply. As a result of this ministry of the word, more disciples are being brought into the church. And it's not simply addition. I, you know, I know a lot of you kids here, uh, maybe you, you reach second grade, third grade. I, I feel like I, I learned it in fifth grade, multiplication. I didn't really get it down till then. But, we, but the basis of multiplication is that it's more, more than addition. They're being multiplied even greater. And finally, we see an expansion of joy in the, the uh, bringing in of priests. Even the priests are joining. And this is something new and special in Acts. Up to this point, the church has continued to expand and grow. But, but Luke is noting that something that has yet to happen. The priests are coming in. This is an exciting development. Most of the priests seem to be ardently opposed. And yet, because these men are able to serve tables, it seems that this has some sort of effect that, that brings in the priests. It might be the fact that the priests were the ones who were in charge of distributing funds in the synagogues. And as they see this church providing for their widows, that they're, they're, they begin to ask themselves, well, what is this movement that's happening? This bringing in of priests seems to be a fulfillment of Psalm 132. Where it says, for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his, his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation. And her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout up for David I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. And that's what we see here is this, this Jesus providing for his church, restoring health, restoring joy. That's the, the answer to our question that we saw at the outset. Because Jesus preserves our joy and administers mercy through deacons. Jesus preserves our joy through deacons. That's his answer. And that may have not been the answer that you first thought of. Sometimes we read these passages and, and, uh, about different offices, and, and we, that gives us a new target to place on people's back in order to, uh, to give our grievances to them. 
But really, this, this passage points us to the king who provides for his church. So if it is true that Jesus preserves our joy and administers mercy through deacons, how do we respond? How are we supposed to live in light of this truth? The answer is that we honor the Lord by treasuring deacons greatly. We honor Him by treasuring them. How do we treasure them? How do we treasure them greatly? How do you treasure your deacons? What does that look like? Well, as we come to, toward the end of this sermon, I, I want to propose five ways that you can be treasuring your deacons in the Lord. First, pray for them. Pray for your deacons. The work that they do is challenging work. It requires much wisdom and compassion and mercy. Pray that the Lord would fill them with his spirit, that they might be encouraged in their work. Second, listen to them. Deacons are charged with, with stirring up mercy within the congregation to, to cultivate our compassion for those who are in need. So listen to your deacons as they, 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 as they bring to your attention needs in this community. Encourage them. Encourage them. Make note of the ways that they, are, that they are faithfully serving this church. And let them know that you see it. That it is encouraging. It provides you with joy as you seek to worship your God. Encourage them. Fourth, support them. Support them. Support the efforts that they are doing whenever they seek to raise money for some need. Provide for that. Generously give. That, that their work might be done with joy. That they might show forth the compassion of Christ to those who are in need. And fifthly, and this is especially true for, for men in the congregation and young men, aspire. Aspire to be a deacon. Desire that office. That you might be uh, one who administers compassion and mercy. Desire the office. That's one way to treasure your deacons and treasure the deacons that, that Christ gives to his church. Christ has given us deacons for the preservation of our joy, that we might enjoy the redemption that is found in him. Deacons administer mercy to those who are, who are most at risk of not enjoying the redemption that, that has been found in Christ. Ultimately, their office points us to Jesus and the care that he has for, our, for his church. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, give thanks to Christ for his care. Treasure your deacons that you might honor the Lord greatly. This, this is pleasing to the Lord, and it brings him glory. So let's go to him now in, in prayer and give thanks. Our Lord and God, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you for revealing your mighty deeds, 
that even now, Christ, that you, though you are at the right hand of your Father, are still near to us by your Spirit, that you still provide wisdom for your church, that you still provide uh, care. We thank you for the office of deacon. We thank you for the men here who serve at harvest to care for the needs of, of this congregation and for the community surrounding. We, we ask and pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them for their task. Grant to them great compassion and joy as they, as they extend uh, care to those in need. May we not simply look to them with thanks, but may we look to you, our God, for providing for our every need, for seeing our grumbling hearts and restoring joy. Our God, we do ask and pray that, that you'd bring to our minds and hearts the, the different needs here in the congregation, that we would support the deacons here, and that in all things Christ might receive glory and praise, for he is most deserving. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.